Acts chapter number 1. And with the help of the Lord, in just a very few moments, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 6 of that chapter and be reading through verse number 8. We will be using our Bibles this morning, and I trust, therefore, you'll leave them handy. Your pastor was so kind to mention the CDs. Thank you very much, preacher. Uh, I am the world's worst promoter. I, I don't like... Uh, to even give the appearance that I'm promoting myself or anything like that. But I must say that uh, in the last seven years, God has worked through our CD sales to put all of the gas in our vehicles, and I give Him glory, honor for that. We're able to do more for missions uh, because of the CD sales, and Cassie will be glad to talk to you about the CDs after the service. Several months ago, some of the fellows in the office, they came to me and they said, hey, preacher, you know a lot of the newer cars today, they don't even have CD players. I said, really? Man, I remember cars. How many remember the eight-track tapes? Hey, some of us remember reel to reel, don't we? Hey, Amen. We're really telling our age now. But they told me, preacher, some of the new cars, they don't even have a CD. I said, well, what do they do? They say, well, they load music on their cell phones and their iPads and their devices, and then they Bluetooth. And they said, you need one of these things. I said, what in the world is that? He said, it's a jump drive. It's a flash drive. And on this little flash drive right here, Cassie calls it the Lifetime Music Collection. There are 10 different CDs that I have recorded down through the years on that one flash drive right there. And from that flash drive, you can load, your mu load the music on your device and play it on your new car. If you're blessed to drive a car that doesn't have a CD player, well, that's your ticket right there. That's over 100 songs, and it's a much, much cheaper than buying 10 different CDs. And so Cassie would be glad to talk to you about that after the service. Pastor, thank you again for the privilege to be here. I don't know if you remember the last two times that I was blessed to be with you, the preacher wasn't here. Now, in one way, that's a compliment because he trusts me to stand in his pulpit, and neither, I certainly do not take that lightly. But it really is a blessing that the preacher's here this year. You know, if he didn't make it this year, I would begin to get a complex about that, you know. So I'm glad the preacher is here, and I'm glad you're here. It has been a busy, busy week for you. And if you'll come back tonight, I want to take my Bible and answer this question. Is it worth it? I'll be preaching tonight on the thought, does it really pay to serve God? And we're going to address that question, go to the Old Testament of the Bible, and allow one of my favorite Old Testament stories in the Word of God to answer that question. And I think you'll discover before the service is over tonight, yes, yes, a thousand times yes, it pays to serve God. Amen? So come back to the service tonight. If you found your place in the book of Acts, would you please stand? Acts chapter number 1. Notice, if you would please, verse number 6. We'll read the text and then consider the context of its writing throughout the introduction to the message. Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 6 says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord... Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power 
after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now I'd like to back up and read verse number 8 again as this single verse of Scripture will be used as the key text of my message this morning. Acts chapter number 1 and verse 8 says, But ye shall receive, somebody say that next word for me, power, after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. With the help of the Lord, this Missions Emphasis Sunday, I want to preach on this thought, God's muscle for missions. We need this muscle. We need this power this morning. Father, with our heads bowed and with our hearts opened, we ask that you would speak to us from the pages of thy word in a very special way. Help me, I pray, I'm nothing without thee. Cleanse me of sin and self and fill me with your precious Holy Spirit. For only then will I be the preacher you have called me to be. And for what you do in this service, we'll give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated this morning. The book of Acts has often been called the history book of the early church. We not only read of the organization of the early church. We not only read of the oppression of the early church. But we also read of God's orders to the early church here in the book of Acts as well. In fact, you and I witnessed those orders being conveyed to the Lord's disciples from the Lord Jesus himself here in our key text shortly before he ascended back to his throne in glory. I've always found it interesting that the orders Jesus conveyed to his disciples here in the text were actually delivered in direct response to a question his disciples had asked in the preceding verses of Scripture. If you'll notice again, according to verse 6 of the chapter before us, the disciples asked the Lord Jesus, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Of course, the disciples were talking about the literal kingdom. The Jews were convinced their Messiah would establish immediately upon his appearance here on this earth. Christ's response to them actually began in verse number 7 when he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. (laughs) Jesus certainly didn't beat around the bush in his response to his disciples, did he? Absolutely not. As you and I consider Christ's response, surely you would agree with me when I say it was almost as if these disciples were preoccupied with lesser things. 
I mean, think about it. Jesus is trying to conduct the world's first missions conference and his disciples wanted to turn it into a prophecy conference. And in doing so, they were making the same mistake that so many of God's children are making this very day. They were missing the forest for the trees. They had been distracted from keeping the main thing the main thing. These disciples wanted to know if the time had come for the Lord to establish his kingdom here on the earth. However, the Lord Jesus informs them, according to the text before us, that the times and the seasons should not be their major. It should not be their first concern. Those things, according to the Savior, are in the hands of the Father. However, beginning with verse 8 of this chapter, Jesus begins to inform his disciples what they should be concerned about. Jesus said, but ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. Rest assured, Calvary Baptist Church, having heard the words of Christ after all of these years, it's still true. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is reaching souls with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, there is such a need for that to be the case. Jesus not only enlightened his disciples to that end, but he promised to empower them for the task at hand as well. I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, Acts chapter number 1 and verse 8 reminds each and every one of us that we not only have a mandate from heaven, we not only have a message to preach, but thank God we have been given some spiritual muscle with which to preach it with. Do you see this muscle that I'm talking about here in the text before us? Just before our Savior ascended back to his throne in glory, he had a final word to share with his disciples. And I've always found it interesting that, yes, Jesus did speak of places here in the text. Yes, he did speak of people in the text. However, the Lord made it abundantly clear that if the disciples were going to reach the people in all of the different places, he was careful to mention there was something they needed and, in fact, must have in order for them to be the effective witnesses that God was calling upon them to be but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth I'm preaching this morning of the thought God's muscle for missions Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 8 has been called the index to the entire book of Acts. It has been identified as such because the verse reveals God's master plan for reaching a lost and dying world with the gospel. However, I think it's vitally important to notice you and I consider God's master plan. It doesn't start with places. 
Oh, now Jesus mentions places in the text. He mentions Jerusalem. He mentions Judea. He mentions Samaria. In fact, he even goes as far as to mention the uttermost part of the earth. God does mention, he does speak of places, but he doesn't speak of places first. God speaks of people here. But Ye shall receive power. He is speaking to his disciples then, and he is speaking to both you and me today through his preserved word. It is those of us who are saved that God longs to use to be witnesses to a lost and dying world. People reaching other people with the gospel that has changed their lives. That's always been a part of God's plan. So yes, God does speak of places here. God does speak of people here. But as important as people are, God doesn't speak of people first. No, before God speaks of people, before God speaks of places, he speaks of power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. This is the spiritual muscle that is needed, power. Here is an observation that can and should be made from Acts chapter number one and verse number eight. Before the disciples preached, they needed this power. Preaching without this power would have been in vain, fruitless. Praying without this power would have resulted in dull repetition. No, these disciples needed then what both you and I need and in fact must have this morning, child of God, if we're going to be the witnesses that Jesus calls upon us to be and that is the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Hear me this morning, if our message is to have eternal value, if our methods are to be successful in the eyes of God, and certainly if our mindset for ministry is to ever be what God intends for it to be, we must have help from outside of ourselves. It isn't our power that makes an eternal difference in the souls of men. It's his power. It is the power of the Holy Ghost of God that lives inside of us. Let me remind you this morning, church, those people in that upper room that we read about in Acts chapter number two were promised that the Spirit of God was coming and that when he came, he would fill them with his power. And when that power was manifested on the day of Pentecost, those terrified disciples who had been hiding from the Jews in obscure security became bold preachers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What was it that made the difference? I'll tell you what it was. It was God's muscle for missions. It was God's muscle for ministry. It was the power of the Holy Ghost of God. Why up until Pentecost, results from pre Peter's preaching had been sparse to say the least. Oh, but when he stood to preach on that day, but he preached with a power that he had never been blessed to preach with before. There was a presence and a power on Peter's preaching that day unlike he had ever known before. What was it that made the difference, you might ask? 
Was it the brand new suit and tie that Peter was wearing that day? What is, was it the latest best-selling book on oratory delivery that Peter had just read? Maybe it was the friendship that Peter had forged with a popular pastor down the street. Oh no, brother, it wasn't any of those things. It was God's muscle for missions. It was the power of the Holy Spirit of God that filled the apostle Peter as he stood and as he delivered the word of God on that day. You remember the story? After Peter finished preaching 3,000 souls according to Acts chapter 2 and verse number 41 was saved by the good grace of God. In fact, those 3,000 souls that come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus, it was only a small portion of the miracles that took place that day. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 46 says, And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. <laughs> I pastored Independent Fundamental Baptist for 22 years. That right there is a miracle in and of itself. They're continuing daily. They're breaking bread from house to house. They're eating their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Why, it's no wonder verse 47 of the chapter says that the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Brother, what a mighty miracle. Oh, but let me remind you before we ever read about 3,000 being saved, before we ever read about God's people continuing daily with one accord, before we ever read about God adding to the church daily such as should be saved, we read about God's people being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the muscle for missions. That's the muscle for ministry we must have today if we're going to be the witnesses God has called upon us to be. Can I take a time out right here and just say this? I just feel it's important that I say this. I'm Baptist from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. I'm Baptist born and Baptist bred, and when I die, I'm going to be Baptist dead. And by the way, if there was anything closer to the Word of God, I'd be that too. I'm Baptist. But you're hearing one Baptist preacher preach this morning that cannot do it without this muscle. I can't do it. I can't do it. Oh, I could go through the motions, Pastor Pope, in the power of my flesh, but it would amount to nothing. I would eventually throw up both hands and say, you know, I'm through with this. I've got to have this power. I've got to have it. I must know and realize that Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 is right when it says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Oh, I'm afraid much too often when it comes to world evangelism, we are quick to talk about places. We are quick to talk about people. We even have a plan to reach the people in all of the places. But how many times when it comes to world evangelism do we ever stop to consider the need for power? We're fully aware of the message of missions. We are very cognizant of the method for missions. And even the men we have been commanded to reach with the gospel. But what about the muscle to do it? 
What about the power of the Holy Spirit of God? And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Can I stop right here long enough to say that being filled with the Spirit isn't a suggestion to be ignored. It is a command to be obeyed. I often refer to it as a forgotten command of the Bible. It is a command that has been preserved in the Word of God in a present, in a continuous sense. Do you know what that means? That means just as sure as it was God's will for His disciples to be full of the Holy Ghost. Hey, wait a minute. It's just as much God's will for you to be full of the Holy Ghost. And by the way, it's not just Pastor Pope that needs to be full of the Holy Ghost. It's you, child of God. Oh, listen, I think it's important that I say this right here. I know your pastor would agree. He's preached to you many times about the work of the Holy Spirit of God. And I do realize that most of the Holy Spirit's dealings with believers are once and for all sovereign act of God. The initial indwelling of the Spirit, the moment God saves us, the baptism, the sealing, the earnest of the Spirit are in no way dependent upon us. They are wrought in us by the Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion. They are both irreversible and they are irrevocable. But the filling of the Holy Spirit of God, that's different. There may be one indwelling of the Spirit, but there are many fillings of the Spirit of God. And one of the reasons why is because when God saved our souls, He didn't save an ounce of our old flesh. You ever heard them folks that's all messed up on their doctrine of the Holy Spirit? They'll try to convince you the old nature was eradicated. Can you believe that? Listen, I'd like to talk to some M.O. boys that preach that. I'd like to talk to their wives. I'd like to ask their wife, hey, really? That old nature, has it really been? So he never gets mad? He never has a wrong thought? Oh, no. When God saved my soul, he didn't save one ounce of my flesh. The same flesh that yields quietly to the Holy Spirit today may be the same flesh that rebels against the Holy Spirit tomorrow. That's why every day I have to empty myself of self and sin and selfishness and bitterness and pride, not so I can have more of the Holy Spirit, but so that the Holy Spirit can have more of me. That's our muscle for missions. That's our muscle for ministry. Oh, and Don't you long for that kind of muscle? Oh, we should. God satisfies the hunger of the hungry. Are you hungry for it this morning? God satisfies the thirst of the thirsty. Are you thirsty for the Spirit of God? Let me remind you this morning before we take just a few moments and dig into our text, laboring in our flesh will always eventually lead to discouragement, to distraction, and ultimately to defeat. Oh, you may be be able to last a while. But if you're going to stay, 
If you're going to fight the battles that you inevitably will fight when you become the witness God intends for you to be, I'm going to tell you, you will not make it in the power of your flesh. You know what I've seen over the course of the last seven years as the director of Macedonia World Baptist Missions? I know that missionaries can get to the field with finances. I want to tell you something. It's going to take more than finances if they're going to stay there. They're going to have to have this power. They're going to have to have this muscle. And what's true for the missionaries around the world is true for the bus worker. It's true for the Sunday school teacher. It's true for the VBS counselor. It's true for the pastor. It's true for the church custodian. We must have this power if we're going to be what God intends for us to be. Quickly now, just a few things directly from the text. First of all, notice the resource of this power. My, what a vast resource of power. However, let's address this question, shall we? Where does this muscle generate? Where does it begin? Well, the Lord tells his disciples in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but ye shall receive power after what? That the Holy Ghost is come upon you. God's muscle for ministry doesn't generate in our flesh. It doesn't generate with our talents or our personal skills or our own abilities. It certainly isn't our first impression that can change a man's life forever. Oh no, this power generates not in us, but in him. The resource of this power. Secondly, notice the recipients of this power. Jesus said, but ye, but ye shall receive power. Of course, he was speaking to his disciples then, but there is a reason. Acts chapter number one and verse number eight has been forever preserved in our King James Bible. Today, he longs to empower me. And I want to tell you, Sunday school teacher, he longs to empower you. Hey, soul winner, he longs to empower you because it's his touch that'll make a difference in the lives of others, not yours. He longs to empower us. That is exactly why the Lord said in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I used to read from Matthew chapter 11 and ask the Lord, Lord, how could a yoke be easy? When we labor in his power as opposed to our own power, the yoke becomes easy. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, not your yoke. My yoke, oh, it's toilsome. My yoke causes discouragement. My yoke will get me to the point if I'm not careful. I have to pick each leg up and move them forward. But his yoke... Now, some of you are tired. I know you're tired. The preacher told me when he contacted me yesterday, he said, you're going to be preaching to a bunch of tired folks. I said, I preach to tired folks every week of my life. Are you kidding? But what was it? What was it that caused you to labor like you labored last week? And here you are. 
on Sunday morning. I'll tell you one thing, that choir didn't sing like they were tired. You know why? Because when they began to sing, the Holy Spirit of God empowered them to sing. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. Not your yoke, but my yoke is easy. Then Jesus said, my burden is light. It's light. Some people would look at your precious pastor and they would say, wow, how in the world does a man do all that? Write all those books he writes, prepares all those messages he prepares week after week, was used of the Lord to lead in this tremendous building project and and boy, you're still not through. You've still got more things to do. How does a man handle that? I'll tell you how he handles it. With this muscle for mystery, this muscle for missions, this muscle, his burden is heavy. Brother Pope's burden is heavy. But the Lord's burden is light. Jesus said, but ye and you and you and you and you and you shall receive muscle. I'm going to give you the muscle. I'm going to give you the power. All the recipients of this power, we must have it, child of God. Thirdly, the reason for this power. Why did God make this power available to his disciples? God made this power available in order to enable them to be witnesses for Him. A witness is simply someone who testifies concerning those things he or she knows to be true. The disciples were not called to be lawyers and argue the case of salvation before men. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. They were simply called to be witnesses. God doesn't make this power available so other Christians can stand back and say, wow, what a preacher. Oh, no. It's not for the glory of men. It's for the glory of God. In Acts chapter number 4, after a soul-stirring message, Peter preached in regards to a lame man being healed in the preceding chapter. Both Peter and John were detained. Eventually, the authorities ask in verse 7 of that chapter, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter responded, beginning in verse 8. Well, the Bible says, listen now, then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost. Hmm. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of this good deed done to this impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God before you hold, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is thou salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved brother what a message verse 13 of that chapter goes on to say now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men they marveled and took knowledge of them not 
because of their oratory skill, not because of their tremendous resume or their great average in Bible college. No, these were unlearned. They were ignorant men. Others took knowledge of them because they had been with Jesus. And because they had been with Jesus, God made them the witnesses that he would have them to be. That's the reason for this power. It's not for your glory and it's not for mine, but it's for his glory. So that when great things are accomplished, nobody can get credit for it but God. Finally, the reaching of this power. Where shall be witnesses to? If the Spirit of God fills us so that we in turn can be these witnesses God has ordained us to be, where shall we be witnesses to? According to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, the uttermost part of the earth. The last words that Jesus uttered before he ascended back to glory. The uttermost part of the earth. Wow, what a task. The average casual Bible reader would look at such a statement and say, we can't do that. The uttermost parts of the earth? God has not only commanded us to reach our Jerusalem, but we are to reach simultaneously at the same time while we're having our VBS we should be having a part in missionaries ministries reaching an entire world with the God how can we do that we're not going to do it in the power of our flesh I'll tell you that but with his power I'll close with this Illustration. Oh, you've listened so well. I love preaching here. If I lived in Union Grove, North Carolina, there's no doubt in my mind where I'd be a member of. I'm just telling you that right now. This is an exciting place. I love preaching here. Story's been told of a 20, 21-year-old young boy that had grew up in the country all of his life. He had never even made as much as one trip to a big city worked on a farm, worked hard. But down deep inside, he always wanted to live a while in a big city. He'd never known what it was like. His curiosity was driving him to do that. So with his parents' permission, when he got of age, he moved to a big city several hours away. He was absolutely mesmerized when he first walked down the main street of the city the big skyscrapers. He had never seen anything like that before. He grew up all of his life on a farm, working on a farm. He secured a place to live and he knew he needed a job and so he just picked out the biggest, tallest skyscraper that he could find and walked in the front door and there was a fellow sitting there at an information counter and he walked right up to him, introduced himself and he said, look, I need a job. He said, do you know if this company needs any help? And he said, you know, it's amazing that you should come in and ask that question. The director of personnel was just up here and he walked by and asked me about a friend of mine that was looking for a job. They need a mail carrier. 
And he said, well, I'd be interested in that job. He said, well, see those steps right over there? Go over there to that door, walk down one floor on those steps, and you'll see the personnel office. Just knock on the personnel office door and ask for the director of personnel. And so the young man did. When he knocked on the door, the personnel director came to the door and he answered. And he said, yes, sir, can I help you? And he said, that fellow up there at that desk said that you may be looking for a mail carrier. He said, yeah. He said, I really, I really need some help. He said, see all those boxes over there? I've got to get them to all 25 floors of this building and I got to do it today. I, I really need some help to do that. And he said, I'll do it. I'm available. He said, really, you're interested? He said, absolutely. He said, when can you start? He said, I could start right now. He said, great. We'll fill out your time card right here, and you can start right now. Now, see that big stack over there? They're going to floor 25. Can you handle it? He said, absolutely. I've worked on a farm all my life. I've worked hard all my life. I can do it. So he did. The next day he came back. Next day he came back. After about a week of working, he showed up for work one morning, and he was so tired, so weary. He went to the personnel office door and said, and I hate to tell you this, but he said, I'm just wore out. He said, I just can't do it anymore. He said, I, I'll work a notice for you, but I've got to resign today. He said, I, I'm just absolutely wore out beyond belief. And he said, but I, the personnel director said, I thought you said you work hard on a farm. He said, I have. Listen, I've milked cows, I've rode uh, I, I've plowed corn. I, I've done all that kind of stuff, but I, I've never done anything this hard. He said, I just, I just can't do it anymore. And he said, wait a minute. Did you say you grew up on a farm? He said, yes, sir. Have you ever been to the big city? He said, oh, no, sir. This is, this is my first trip. I, I've never even been in a skyscraper before. This is the first skyscraper that I've ever seen. He said, well, have you ever heard of an elevator? And the young man said, an alligator? No, an elevator. He said, well, no, sir. I haven't heard of an elevator. After the personnel director laughed a little while, he took him outside in the hall, walked up to the wall where this big metal door was, hit a button, and the door slid open. Personnel director stepped inside and pulled that young man inside and hit 25. In just a few moments, the door come open again. Personnel director stepped out, pulled the young man out, and the young man looked around. I know this floor. I was here many times last week. You mean to tell me all I got to do is step in that metal box and mash a button and the metal box will do all that stair walking for me? <laughs> Personnel director said, would you like your job back? He said, would I? He said, I can't believe, I can't believe you would pay me to ride that metal box all day. Are you kidding me? Absolutely. It makes all the difference in the world when you take the elevator. And can I say this? I'm through this morning. When it comes to the work of the Lord, 
Oh, you can labor in the power of your flesh if you want to. I can preach in the power of my flesh if I want to. And you know, sooner or later, I will come to the Lord and I'll say, Lord, I just can't do it anymore. I can't climb the stairs anymore. Lord, you know what they're saying about me on social media. Lord, you know what they're doing to my family. I just can't know. But when you get on God's elevator and push the button and empty yourself of sin and self, when God puts you in his elevator, God, God, God will enable you to teach again, to preach again, to reach others again. Why, God will get you to the point he'll have you ready to start VBS all over again. What makes the difference? The muscle. The muscle for ministry. You've listened so well. Would you bow your head with me? Lord, I'm so humbled by your power. Oh, I thank you for this muscle, for missions, for ministry, for soul winning, for bus working, for Sunday school teaching, for Bible preaching. We got to have it. Lord, I have to have it. So help us this morning. And I'll thank you and praise you for it. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Some folks have already come to pray. God sent me here to ask you this morning. Aren't you tired of laboring in the power of your own flesh? Work will become a drudgery if you labor in the power of your own flesh. So maybe some of us today from the pulpit to the very last pew just need to get in the elevator. Let God do it. Give it to the Lord. When's the last time you give that wayfaring son or daughter to the Lord? When's the last time you've given that Sunday school class, that bus route, to the Lord? Maybe you need to pick up His yoke this morning and lay down yours. Maybe you need to pick up His burden and lay yours down because His burden is light. It makes all the difference in the world when we do it in His power. The preacher's coming. I trust you do what God would have you to do, preacher.